Okay, <clears throat> so the passage is Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. And it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for the wonderful gift of your word. And we thank you as well for the gift of the Holy Spirit that teaches us and guides us into all truth. And Lord, we want to come before you humbly uh, as we look at, at this piece of scripture, this teaching that you gave us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand it in the right way and you would uh, bring to light all the things that we need uh, corporately but also as individuals or that we can benefit um, from uh, yeah from the riches of your word together in Jesus name Amen <clears throat> so this this actually um, has been quite difficult talk to prepare for a number of reasons. Um, so believe it or not, firstly, it could be a very big subject and there's a lot of potential material. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his volume on the Sermon on the Mount divided it into three lengthy sermons. Um, well, I don't have that luxury, if you could even call it a luxury of having to talk that long for that, that many times. Uh, but secondly, we have to discern how Jesus intended us to apply this teaching. And actually, I found it's difficult to put into words what sort of judging is okay and what sort is not okay, even if in ourselves we might have the right instinct for it. The third reason why it's uh, a bit difficult is that verse 6, the one about the dogs and the pigs, uh, is a bit shocking, particularly in the light of verse 1. And we need to be careful how we apply it. And finally, I found that all six verses are best understood in the context of all the others. So actually trying to find a starting point uh, of where, where do I start talking about this was, was quite tricky. Now, this is actually uh, quite a widely known passage. Much of this passage is known outside of Christian circles even. The speck and the plank parable uh, probably a lot of people outside the church know and nearly everybody's heard of this command do not judge and it's often used by people ironically to accuse Christians who take a stand for righteousness even if those Christians are doing it in a non-judgmental way and people think that sometimes that having any opinion about what is right and what is wrong is being judgmental particularly if they don't agree with it or they find themselves challenged by the principle that's being upheld. 
So, <clears throat> so despite the fact uh, I said it's difficult to know where to start, I'm going to just give you a quick outline of what I want to cover. So firstly, how does this fit into the context of the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, secondly, to look at the headline teaching, do not judge or you will be judged and ask judged in what way? Um, third thing is to look at the biblical principle in verse two, that is with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Then fourthly, we'll consider the parable about the speck and the plank. And after that, let's consider what verse six means, how we can apply that, that is do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. And then finally, I'm going to summarize about uh, what I feel, when and how it's okay to judge uh, and when it's not. So, Lord, please help us. <coughs> so let's uh, start with thinking about the Sermon on the Mount and how does this passage fit into the whole when we're looking at the whole Sermon on the Mount? Does it relate to what has been said previously? Well, the previous section, which Nita spoke on, is about not storing up treasures in heaven and about not worrying, about seeking first the kingdom of God. The theme is about living in the light of eternity, not for this life alone. We are citizens of the city that is above. We're looking for a heavenly country. That type of living marks out the difference between the sons of the kingdom and those who consider this life as being most important. And so we live being mindful that much of what we do has an eternal significance and living in the fear that is the right sort of fear, a godly fear, uh, that we will have to give an account and that we will be judged. So the headline for the passage is don't judge or you will be judged. Now you could just apply this on a purely human level to our relationship with people in that we are most likely to be treated better by people if we treat them well. And that's all true, but Jesus meant far more than this. He was talking about God's judgment. Now, God's judgment is a very big topic and a theme that runs right through the Bible, and we can't do it justice today, no pun intended. Um, in fact, books could be written on the subject, and I've no doubt they have been. Um, However, we need to recognize that there are various aspects of God's judgment. Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests that there are three aspects. And although this is not the definitive last word on it, I think it would be helpful for me to list these three aspects of judgment here. So <clears throat> firstly, there is the determination of our final destiny, heaven or hell, as depicted in the sheep and the goats illustration that Jesus gives in Matthew 25. And this is also described in Revelation 20. And this decision is on the basis of faith in Jesus, although of course real faith will always result in action as James and other biblical writers teach us. So that's the first uh, type of, of judgment. Secondly, there is an ongoing judgment for God's people. On very rare occasions, this is dramatic and scary, as in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And there are numerous examples in scripture, but one of the 
One example appears in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul reprimands the church for their attitude towards each other when they break bread together. And Paul finishes up saying, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and ill, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the law, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. So that's uh, a little bit about the second aspect of judgment. And finally, and this is another big subject, there is the judgment of rewards. Uh, it, as I said, it's big, so we, we can't go into a great deal of detail. It's not necessarily going to happen at a different time from the aspect number one I mentioned, um, but it, it's different in that it's not about your so much your final destiny, uh, destiny, um, but it's it's about um, our our rewards in the next life. And this theme runs right through the New Testament. We've already encountered it in this teaching series. For example, in Matthew chapter five. Uh, it said, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And in chapter 6, it said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The implication here, and through much of chapter 6, is that, that God sees all that we do, including fasting, praying and giving, which were the three examples given, even if they're done in secret, and he will reward us. Peter at one time said to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And truly, I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So I believe this, it's this aspect of judgment that Jesus was referring to in, that, in the headline for the passage, don't judge or you'll be judged. Now that brings us on to the next verse and a biblical principle which I want to examine a little. So Jesus said, for in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now again, we could apply this on just a human level. Perhaps you have attended some course or something like that and you are told, you'll get out what you put into it. Or in other words, give it your best and your benefit. If you don't bother trying, don't expect to receive anything. Now that's all very true, uh, but Jesus has in mind that God sees everything and it's God that will reward those who diligently seek him. So it means much more uh, than just that on the human level. 
The principle is expanded in the parallel passage in Luke, where Jesus says, do not, be, uh, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now this principle, which is strongly related to the judgment for rewards, Jesus describes as applying in both a positive and a negative way. And probably the first thing to note is that God, in his generous nature, adds interest, at least to the positive things. He says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Another example is in Mark chapter 4, after the parable of the sower, when Jesus says, consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. And then Jesus says, whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Another example uh, was which we learned a few weeks ago when Michaela talked to us on the Lord's Prayer. And you might remember that Jesus finishes up saying, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So the measure you give will be the measure you receive. Relating this back now to the, uh, to the theme of this passage, if, if your attitude is one of judging and condemning others, if you use a harsh measure and not a generous one in your attitude to others, then God will see that. And the question will then be, how would you like to be judged by that standard? How well do you measure up? Much better it is to make a decision to follow Jesus' teaching and train yourself to refrain from judgment. Much better when you're tempted to make a judgment on someone to ask yourself, how does your record look if you're judged by the standard you're about to apply to this other person? Do you notice this judgmental attitude sometimes uh, when you're driving? You make a tiny mistake or sometimes not even any mistake, which, shock horror, might cause the person behind to slow down a little. And they fly into a self-righteous rage, hooting you, drawing alongside, lingering there, hoping that you will look at them so that they can mouth their abusive reprimand. And they act as if they've never made any error in their entire driving career. And no doubt they passed their test with not a single minor. But then ask yourself, how do you react in this situation? If someone makes a mistake or slows you down, you may not act abusively, but do you give them a hoot, mutter something, passing judgment, condemning, thinking, stupid idiot? Um, <clears throat> it's, it's important to realise, actually, that um, an awful lot of the judgment of others that goes on goes on inside us and probably about 90% of it we don't actually voice um, but God sees what's in the heart and that's what's important so it's not a matter of just what you say it's uh, it's a matter of what you think
And that brings us on to the next three verses. So the speck and the plank parable, the speck in the eye and the plank in the eye, it's hard hitting as well as being humorous. It conjures up a cartoon image of someone absurdly pointing the finger at a small imperfection in someone while their own condition is ridiculously worse. And of course, the message of this parable is don't be hypocritical. Anyone can see that. And yet there are two further points about this parable to note. Because firstly, because it's about the eye. Now, if it had been about another part of the body, the basic message about hypocrisy would still uh, would still stand. Um, this conjures up in my mind the image in the original Shrek movie, where in the forest, Princess Fiona suddenly says to Shrek, you've got an arrow in your butt, which he seemed to oblivious to until she started trying to pull it out. Um, but <clears throat> the fact that the plank is in the eye in this parable brings a further truth. That is, not only are you just as bad or worse than the person you're judging, you're extremely and absurdly unfit for observing specks in anyone else's eye because your own stuff seriously affects your vision. And isn't that the case with sin, that it, we, it blinds us? Um, in Psalm 36, it starts, an oracle is, is within my heart. An oracle here means a divine revelation. And an oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. In his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. <clears throat> sin in our lives, such as a judgmental and condemning nature, has got this deceptive quality. It masquerades as normality so that we find it hard to see in ourselves. Now in this church we teach a system called the five R's, not because that term itself appears in the Bible, but all of the concepts in it do. And we teach it in order that when we repent, we do so thoroughly and not superficially. And the first of the R's is recognize. We should examine ourselves and recognize our own sin and then deal thoroughly with it. Jesus brings a resolution to this crazy situation of his parable. He says, first remove the plank in your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's not completely out of the question to point out other people's faults. In fact, if done completely in love with sensitivity and without a critical spirit, it's a good thing. Paul said to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So what Jesus is warning against is hypocritical and condemning judgment of other people. There are situations when it's right to judge and there are situations and manners in which it's wrong. And I'll return to this after we've looked at the last verse in the passage. And that last verse is, of course, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. 
And this is one of two verses in the vicinity. Um, the other one is in verse 15 that tell us clearly that Jesus is not warning against making any assessment of people and their character. The other verse by, in, in verse 15 says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And in verse 16, he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And then he goes on to enlarge that theme. So we sometimes need to make judgments about people. Otherwise, how can we put into practice uh, these teachings that Jesus brings in verse 6 and verse 15 and 16? But it's important that we judge with the right attitude, the right motives. We judge by fruit and not initial appearance. And we examine ourselves. Verse 6 teaches us, I think, to be discerning and careful, even when we make a right judgment. What's the pearl, do you think, that's being referred to? It's obviously something valuable, something of God, perhaps God's truth, God's revelation, maybe wisdom. And it could also be the message of the gospel. Even with all known debris removed from your own eye, not everybody is able to receive the correction that you may want to offer in love. You have to be discerning as to when, if ever, this is going to be possible. And there may be an application here of communicating the gospel in a way that the listeners are able to receive it. Jesus dealt with different individuals in different ways. Think of the way, for example, that he, he dealt with Nathaniel in John 1 and Nicodemus in John 3 and the woman at the well in John 4. Um, he treated people as individuals, even though the fundamental of the kingdom was the same. And in the Acts of the Apostles, the gospel was expressed in different ways to different cultures. Now, there are many and diverse applications of the wisdom in verse 6, and I haven't got time to explore them now. Uh, you may have some examples that you'd like to bring up uh, when I've finished of how you feel this, this verse applies, that we um, do not give to dogs what is sacred, do not uh, cast your pearls before pigs, otherwise it might, it might come back at you in a violent way. <clears throat> there's a large body of scripture that reinforces and enlarges on and applies this basic teaching about Jesus that uh, about sorry that the basic teaching about judging that Jesus brought and I'm just going to bring a few of these to you now for example Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 2 you therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. In chapter 14 in Romans, Paul says to them, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? 
for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. James, the letter of James, has a lot to say about judging others, and here are a few quick examples. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. James also says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. This is a stark warning to those of us who want to instruct others on how they should live. It's not to be assumed lightly because the measure you use will be, uh, measure you use will be used against you. Yet I did say that there were situations when judging was right and proper. And I say this cautiously in case anyone feels like I'm handing out a blank check. But I want to give some examples of that. Jesus himself said to the Jews in John 7, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. We've already talked um, about his examples of judging prophets by their fruit and discerning who may treat something of great value in a holy way. The warnings against judging don't mean that we should not call sin, sin. It doesn't mean we should not be clear about what is right and wrong, what is acceptable and what's unacceptable. And the New Testament writers sometimes warned the church publicly about certain individuals for the church's protection. Here's another example in 1 Corinthians. Paul instructs the church regarding a particular person who is persisting in sexual immorality and concludes, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Now, please understand this is not a green light to rush to judge others. But situations do arise when the church involving leadership have to take such action. So I'm going to finish up, as I said, by um, bringing a summary of when it's OK to judge and when it's definitely not OK to judge. And uh, hopefully you can follow these. <coughs> I'll number them for those who are making notes and there are uh, six examples of each. Okay, the first, of course, we make judgments about all kinds of things when we make decisions. This isn't judgment of people and Jesus is not talking about that. Like I said, he says to the Pharisees, stop judging by appearances and make a right judgment. And we should judge between what is right and wrong. Number two, when we've been appointed to make judgment, uh, for example, if you're a judge or a juror, this function is right and uh, 
in the Bible, as we know, God uh, appointed people to be to be judges. At one time, Ezekiel, for example, was instructed by God on three occasions to judge various people. Number three is the uh, situation I talked about in 1 Corinthians in where a church uh, needs to uh, bring judgment on onto a, an individual who's refusing to repent. Number four, it is okay to uh, assess someone's character. For example, to the extent to decide whether someone can be trusted, whether you believe someone, whether it's sensible to spend time with that person. Jesus said, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves, but judge by fruit and watch yourself so that you don't have a condemning attitude. There is a saying, you should hate the sin and love the sinner. And I'd say, absolutely, when you have to make these kind of judgments, avoid any aspect of condemning the sinner. Number five, sometimes we need to decide whether someone is ready to hear something or whether it's going to cause them a problem. And you need to do this in order to protect them. For example, there, there might be some information that if you tell someone that they will be tempted to sin or to have a bad feeling towards someone or even to take a wrong action. And then number six is it's okay to judge yourself like we, uh, like we spoke of in 1 Corinthians 11 about the breaking of bread. We need to be constantly examining ourselves, but even here, we need to avoid the condemning attitude. So that's the uh, six areas um, where it is okay to judge. So when do we need to definitely avoid judge, judging? When is it bad to judge? So number one, if we judge in a condemning way, we're pronouncing final judgment. She did this, she is a loser, liar, etc. There is an occasion that sticks in my memory when Nita and I were invited to dinner with two other couples and these two other couples were very close friends with each other. And a particular person in the church came up in the conversation and it was reported that he'd done something unwise. And one of the other guys said, Oh, that guy, obviously I won't mention names, that guy is such a loser. And his, uh, his friend turned on him and he told him that is completely out of order. How dare you say that about one of your brothers? And I believe he was right to do so because the first guy had pronounced judgment on his brother, condemning him, saying he will never succeed. That is not our place. Um, <clears throat> we are taking the place... Uh, we are taking God's place, we are assuming a role, a position that we do not have. Number two, we should not judge when we don't have enough information, so we're not in a position to judge. Number three, we should avoid judging someone's motives. Very seldom are you in a position to judge somebody's motives uh, accurately, even if you suspect that She's only saying that because, or, well, he would say that, wouldn't he? Because don't judge uh, another person's motives. Number four, having a wrong critical spirit. This is a very big one, and it's very much tied up with the um, 
with the, the parable about the, the speck and the, the plank. But when you have an attitude where actually you're looking for them to slip up, when you're not genuinely wanting the best for someone, when you're not loving the person, think of it. Have you ever heard of someone doing something wrong or getting into trouble? And deep down inside you, in some way, you're pleased about it. That's the spirit we're, we're talking about. I think we've probably all, all experienced that. The illustration in the, uh, in the New Testament is when Jesus was on trial and the high priest hears one thing and he, he says, why do we need any more witnesses? We've heard enough. He wasn't looking to be an impartial adjudicator. He was just trying to find fault. Uh, number five is when you have any feeling of superiority, like the Pharisee who said, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this tax collector. Don't judge out of superiority. And then finally, number six, do not judge when it's none of your business. And this is very often the case. When it's none of your business, it's definitely not your business to, to judge. Even Jesus didn't get drawn into passing judgment on matters he was not involved in. So that's the, the end of the talk. Um, and I just want to spend just a minute really in, in prayer, come back to God and just to ask him, Lord, is there any area in which you want to speak to me? And yeah and bring your truth to uh into my spirit so let's uh yeah let's quiet ourselves before him Lord, I thank you that it is your kindness that brings us to repentance. And Lord, we want to be right before you. And so we, we pray if there's uh, any area where we have a tendency to be quick to judge, to do so in a condemning way. Lord, we pray that you would you bring that to our attention. And Lord, lead us uh, to, in a way of repentance. Help us to see the plank in our own eye and to, um, by your grace, to, to remove it. Amen. <laughs>